It's time to party. Okay, so we have a super special guest on the podcast today. It's one of my oldest friends. I think it's like my only like long-standing friend from like early high school. Um, and she works in the film industry and her name's Chloe. What's up, Chloe? Hey, DJ, how you doing? We're doing great. Thank you for having me on. This is fun. Oh, of course. We're so excited. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have a few questions for you, just kind of about your background and and what you do. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what you do for work? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, uh, I I build sets mostly for commercials. I started out doing narrative film, and I hope to get back into it one day. But the last few years, I've been building a lot of um, commercial sets. I build sets for major brands looking to cross-collaborate with different figures. You know, one of my favorite ones was uh, we, we recreated the set for Hobbs and Shaw for a brisk commercial, with Pepsi, which is a Pepsi brand. Um, that was a really fun one. Uh, we did Papa Brock. Papa John's rebrand. Um, we work with like Spotify or Amazon Music. Dang. Um, seen on different ones. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And then what it's is kind your... of a different range? Yeah, that's a lot of range. What is your like role on those sets? So I, I I'm a production designer. I build the sets. So um, we'll we'll get the creative from the agency and working with them and the brand's identity and the budget. We kind of create the world. Um, and it can be anything from just simply redressing an existing space, or sometimes you'll go into like we went into one of we went into Canelo's house once. He's a boxer for a Hennessy job, and that was just making sure that like you know rearranging personal items and making sure that uh, the things that were seen on camera tied in with legal to like creating a whole vibe or you know building set walls or the biggest job I did we moved around a bunch of twenty by forty but uh, shipping containers and we floated them one foot off the ground so it looked like they were hovering on camera oh my gosh so it can be anything from something really small to just you know re- reimagining the space or cleaning it up to, to look organized on camera yeah i remember creating a world i remember you sent me some photos of that shipping container space and it literally was like a full-on warehouse with like floating shipping containers and then it looked like a like a boxing arena is that what it was yeah, yeah, it was a karate karate arena, and it was that was an absolute crazy job. But yeah. we ended up having two stories of shipping containers and twenty feet walls, forty feet long. That um, is, insane. it was really fun. That's crazy. So Chloe and I grew up together in a pretty small town in Idaho. It's like thirty minutes from here, and we were on the school news together. We like, I think I don't know if that was while you were still there, but I was like directing the school news. Um, and then what was your, what was your role on the school news? Yeah, no, DJ was the, DJ was the upper class, was the older class. And he was like the, you were cool and you were in charge and you ran the show. And I was just like, uh, I came in as a sophomore, I think just for one semester. I didn't even go to your school. Um, I went to a different charter school at that time. And, um, I, I don't know. I think I was just taking the class and part of it was they were broadcasting the news, but you had an actual title. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I wanted to make so many digs right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, so awesome. If he wants to, if he wants to. No, I was me. gonna say, oh, how things have changed. Yeah, <laughs> he's still well, an upper. He's still an upperclassman. <laughs> I'm the I'm the oldest one at our. Company. I know, I know, it's true. Isn't that's that what it made me laugh. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, so then Chloe and I like we became friends. She like started mm-hmm. going back to her other school, 
and then we randomly have like kept in touch and I would like I ran into Chloe like in New York we caught up in LA and she's always working on these like insane productions or just has crazy stories in other countries and so I just thought it'd be really interesting Chloe to to ask you like a little bit about how so like post high school I know you went to you went to NYU right I did, but actually going to NYU didn't, I mean, as great of a school as it is, and I'm sure there's opportunities that I was just completely unaware of, because I've always just kind of, like, floated through life, like, completely unaware. Um, But, yeah, I started started working in film when I was 19 just by volunteering on sets, and, you know, DJ, where you and I come from, like, we would build stuff all the time, like, you'd go to one of DJ's house, like, parties when he was in high school, and there would be like bonfires and everyone's super capable and DJ's like a thousand times more capable than I. He was like fixing his car, like doors and replacing parts at like 16. But in New York, if you could just use a drill, you were like, you know, you were a capable human being like beyond everyone else. So I was able to get jobs starting out in the art department um, just because I had, uh, you know, just some basic practice with power tools, not even anything special. Um, I worked on student films. I got really lucky with some of the projects I was on, but I worked on student films throughout college um, and I had some internships and it just kind of, it's just been kind of freelancing. Um, I've never gotten a job that I've applied for. Work just kind of comes. Anytime I've like sent a resume off, it hasn't come back. So just (laughs) honor your contact, honor the people you know and say yes to crazy things. That's really good. I love that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... Like, starting off, what what was, was there like a point, I guess, in your career where you feel like it kind of took off? Like where things started to click and like work? Because I know like a lot yeah. of the vibe is, has been like, like early on, it was like aspiring filmmaker kind of stuff. And then at a certain point, you're like, oh, I'm doing this NBC show or I'm like working with this person and my mind was blown. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the nice thing about film is there's always somebody kind of interesting doing something really small like my second film james frankel was recording sound on it like he was he was already at, this is after he was in spider-man but for some reason he was recording sound on the second film i worked on Stop it. um and so so there's always these little emotional rewards because you never know who's gonna join on to what project or any of that stuff and the thing about like success is it's never I don't know, there's not one single job where I felt like the execution was flawless or, you know, you nail it 100%. And nailing it 100% isn't like, even though my job is to make things tell a story in the most interesting way visually possible, like that's what the production design job is. It's first you hold to the story and then you make it interesting. Yeah. Um, Even with that, even when you fail or like you do the best with the budget you have or the time you have, or it's just absolutely not going to work there's always there's always something that goes wrong it's never completely it's never completely flawless you never walk away without thinking like i should have done this i should have done that but um so it's hard to it's hard to talk about the successes in that sense i think the thing that everyone needs to remember as they keep going is that what feels like a success feels like a success five years later Mm. at the time it's not enough it's never enough you can do more you should have done better you should have you know negotiated a different way you should have been kinder on set all of these things, they, you know, they'll haunt you for the year that you're in them. And then it takes a few years to kind of forgive yourself and be able to say like, wow, I did that. I did that with my friends. We did that. We made that happen. And we had absolutely, you know, if you're working in film production, 
most of the time you won't have the resources you need to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and it's, you, you learn to communicate and ask for those resources a little bit better. Um, like my department's example would be like, you're one person and they don't want to give you an assistant and you have to say, well, if we're carrying a sofa up a flight of stairs, how many people does that take? Yeah. And just communicating in that way to be like, okay, I'm not trying to fleece you for more money or more people. This is legitimately like, if this is a logistics problem. If we want a new sofa, I need another person. Yeah. That point kind of that you're bringing up to is actually something I've noticed. It's like a benefit for me, like being from a smaller town is like, is like you kind of have to solve your own problems a lot of the time like you were saying like working on the car or like building things or doing these things like that actually I feel like put me ahead because it's like it's like you get paid to solve problems whether you're on a film set or whether you're running an agency or whatever you're doing and like just being like in the mindset of like okay I'm just going to solve these problems and no matter what it takes like we'll figure it out we have to build this thing. We have to do this. But like at the end of the day, the client or the person that's paying you really only cares that their problems get solved and they don't necessarily always care how you do it. And so yeah. maybe it's part partly being from a small town or just being like, you know, s- solutions focused. But I think that's, I see that a lot in like younger people where they're like, they run into a roadblock and they're like, oh, dang, well, this just isn't going to work. And like my mindset is always like, we're going to make it work. We just, it's just a matter of finding the best solution for the, for the problem. Yeah, there, and it is, it is the idea of like not thinking about what's the correct way. Like we'll work for a little different, but we work with carpenters. Like my department specifically works with carpenters a lot. And if you pull a traditional carpenter onto a film job, it, it absolutely crushes their soul because they're, you know, making sure the angles are right and that everything is flush. And you're like, no, it just has to look good on camera and we have an hour to get it up. Yeah. And it's really hard to kind of break those habits. And then in younger people also, you see either a fear that something is beyond their scope of knowledge. And it's really important that at an early age, you learn that there are no experts. Like anything that you're doing or that you're trying to do that a man has done before, human has done before like you can absolutely figure out how they did it and do it yourself you may need to slow down a lot and really just focus on centimeter by centimeter how it happens but absolutely you can achieve any of those things if you break it down into small enough pieces and that fear that fear of kind of like this isn't going to be good enough or it's not going to last forever all of that has to you have to find a way to just be like you know what you know you can start even in your house and just look at you know your door jams your carpet anything figure out like there's no you know definitely be safe all the time but there's no real expert or we live in an age where information is accessible and as cheesy as that sounds like you can figure it out yourself and you have to get in the mentality of what what is first saying what does this need to do right now what does it need to be in the way that like you know if you're building a house the house needs to be a solid foundation and all these things Hmm. on on film it's more what does it need to do in front of a camera what does it need to look like yeah whose story is it this sort of stuff and then just get there just get there as fast as you can and know that if you need to solve it with unconventional materials you know what dj's saying is a lot more you know on his level as as a producer because you produce and you direct now right yeah you you have to get people to do things which is a lot more difficult yeah I still have to get people to do things. We still have to hire welders and carpenters and all of that, but it's, it's hard to get people also to encourage other people to be able to say like, no, I know you normally do it this way, 
we need it done this way and these are our resources can you do it or how would you do it and um and to and uh, this is kind of sidestepping but you know you have to ask for help and when you're asking for help if somebody tells you no impossible that person might be more qualified to do the thing you're asking them to even if you have to twist your arm than the person that says yeah absolutely we can do it for sure and hasn't really taken a second to like think about think it about it yeah. yeah i feel like all of the major film sets that i've ever worked on it's like it's a race to solve the problem the fastest and to get the the boxes checked. Like, it's kind of a rush for me, like, working on a film set, because it's like, how fast can you solve these problems? And it's like, somebody comes to you at the beginning of the day, and they're like, okay, we're going to be shooting this thing on the beach, and this thing here, and we have to build this, and we have to outfit this room, and it's literally just like a sprint to get all of those things done as fast as possible. And, like, the... I feel like the, the challenge is like, okay, can you still do all of those things and be nice to everybody? Can you yeah, still do- <laughs> yeah. totally be nice to everybody? It's like the major, yeah. the major one has grace. Yeah, not step on yeah. people's toes. And like it gets harder and harder. I feel like the, the bigger the set is because then it's like, okay, well, there's like a grip and there's all of these people who only touch lights and they don't do anything else. And then so it's like, okay, who's the right? So there's a lot of like kind of quick learning that you have to do on like a bigger set to be like, okay, that's their territory don't touch any of that and this is my lane that I can play in and how do we solve all these and and work together but at the end of the day it's always really rewarding I feel like because it's like a family and I don't know it's just a it's a really good feeling to know that you solved all those problems and and hopefully whatever you're working on like actually gets seen there's times where it hasn't but it's like (laughs) really rewarding to see it on screen yeah, a lot of the time what you're making won't get seen or it won't get seen by many people. And that doesn't mean it's not. Yeah, that's, those are all good points. And it's like, especially the middle tier kind of, which is, I think, where you and I are dancing now, because we're not working union jobs. When you're on a union job, it gets, re- you know, it is like, so when you're hiring somebody, if you want to be a good leader, you need to make sure that you've hired somebody and you've given them jobs that they, they can succeed at. And that is fundamentally the difference between a good producer and a bad producer, a good boss and a bad boss. And it probably works across the board. If you're setting something, so if you're going into the unknown and you don't know that you can succeed, that's a different, that's a different job altogether. But like, if you're hiring somebody, you need to make sure that they can complete their tasks in a way that they're happy and they feel satisfied. And when you work on union jobs, there's a lot more of that where you're like, all right, you've got a lot of skills and I may call on you and ask you for some help later, but, uh, but like, I need you to build just this thing and build it right in this time frame, And, and you can start triaging like issues that way, but on the level of stuff that like I'm at right now and kind of you're at right now, DJ, uh, it's like, this is like the music video mentality is the sets you're describing. Like we did a, we did a film, we did a music video called broke leg, with Tory Lanes. I did that with another production designer, Haley Bowman. We te- we teamed up together. And um that one that one was, you know, on music videos, you're you're not given it's kind of a free for all. It's a mad dash. It's an absolute stress fest. There's no there's no rhyme or reason. The talent's gonna be late. The scheduling is made mostly for build in, but not for wrap out. So at the end of the long day, you have to you know, plan on how you're going to get all of your stuff and all your people home on time before your hours cut off. You have to make sure that if once you hit those 12 hours, 
that your guys are going to get paid if they go to overtime and if they're not that they're walking you know because there's a lot of really kind of nasty vicious stuff that happens in the non-union world at that level even when everybody is totally wonderful and you love them but yeah like uh, like on that job we had to make these we had to make these fake butts that were hung on the wall (laughs) fake butts we had huh fake butts you said yeah, so we have to make these fake butts, and um, we have we have two different models come in. And the right way to do it is you hire a fabricator, and you need to hire a specific person. But with some of these budgets, you're not going to be able to hire the right person. So you're supposed to hire a fabricator that comes in, and then you mold an actual actress's butt, and or just a human's butt. Anyways, you get your butt, and... Um, <laughs> I cast it and we were going to put it on the wall, but we had only enough money for the materials themselves. And so we cast the first, we cast the first um, lady and she's curvy and wonderful, but she's also very tiny. And we didn't think about this because when you see a butt, you think of it like out of proportion. Um, You think of it, you think of it in the proportion of the whole human, right? You're not just looking at the butt as a solid piece. So we pull it out and you know our talent was probably 27 but it looked like a 12 year old's butt and so we couldn't use it on the wall um so we had to hire someone last minute and um she got sick from the fumes in the process so we only have enough material so so the butts kind of fall, fell apart and they're still in the deep background and i'm i'm not sure anyways it's one of those things where you have this was supposed to be like a key feature of the music video and for better or worse it all fell apart and it's in the deep background like you'll see it in the deep background if you look but um you come to set and you have to give this to the producer and you just feel like this you're handing off like a butt that wasn't cast properly (laughs) and it just looks weird it looks a little bit alien and you know if the model saw it she would she would probably feel offended because you know you ruined her beautiful anatomy and you don't have time to do another one you don't have time to do it properly and the first perfect butts are they send the wrong message entirely. Yeah. How do so, you, um, how do you balance yeah. the stress huh? of all, how do you balance the stress of like working on you set? You don't, you just, you know, you just power through it. And one thing that's really interesting. And I think, um, and I think that this is a huge difference between the night, like the stress that you deal with DJ, really worries me a lot uh, <laughs> as a friend. It really worries me because the human cortisol and some of the, you know, some of the chemicals that we produce in our body to manage stress, they're not meant to be withheld for long periods of time. So the nice thing about what I'm doing is you have intense stress, maybe the day before the shoot, the day of the shoot. Even once you're shooting, kind of things kind of fall out of your hands. You know, you can be working on other stuff, but it's kind of out of your world. But you do get, you just, you know, you work a 33-hour day sometimes. Yeah. And you, you go to sleep. And it's done. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to yell at you? Well, that's their problem. You know, like you, you did your best with the time restraints. And, um, you know, as you get, as you go further, you get better about promising things like saying, look, with these materials, we absolutely cannot hit 100% of what you want. Yeah. We can, we're going to try for 120%, but you've given us about 60% of the resources. So we're going to come as close as you want. And those are those are really hard sets to be on. Um, yeah. And that's a lot of music videos. It's hard because you know that you're going to kind of fail at the end of the day. And that's, I guess that's what you're asking. It's not really the stress that you have to manage because the stress your body deals with. Your body deals with stress. You let it happen. You walk away. Everybody is at their worst on set. You know, even if they're at their best, they're, you know, it's just, 
you're in the middle of it, you're problem solving. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff is personal. But when you, um, it's, it's like the, you know, if you, you delivered 120%, but it's only 60% because of the conditions. Yeah. And now your work is reflected under the scenario. Um, and you have to talk yourself back into, well, you made a promise and this is the promise I made hmm. given these materials. This is the best I could have done. That's the hard part. That's why it's not the yeah. stress, the stress, you know, it's like you can endure anything yourself. My, my but trick is just to just, not, to not when worry. You let other one, someone else down. Like the idea that you've let someone else down. That's what's good. Yeah. yeah. I was just, I was just saying, Chloe, my trick is just to not worry about anything ever. And that helps me, uh, cope, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But you have, you have, you know, at this point, you're building really good, strong teams. Like, you're not alone, you know? Yeah. So there's nothing, you know, when you have the right people around you, you don't need to worry. You need that's to just true. trust them and listen to them. Yeah. I think that's the, that's a big takeaway, too, is, like, the more you can plan and prepare ahead of time when the actual moment comes, like, the moment of truth or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot easier if you've thought through that and kind of experienced that, like, ahead of time. Like, usually I'll know before going into something like how stressful it's going to, or how, you know, intense or whatever it's going to be because I've like thought through, okay, if this happens, then we're going to do this and we're going to need this piece of gear or like we have to bring gaff tape or whatever. And that's the accumulative knowledge, right? So when you first start out, you're not going to have that. And no matter how talented, like I'll get these really, really talented young 23 year olds and they're awesome and they have such better vision than me and they're so plugged into modern times and their stuff's going to be neon and insane and just everything I'm tired of but that looks magical and that's what they want to make you know yeah but there's a level of just like you have to just do it again and again and again so you know that you always need like zip ties like always have zip ties yeah (laughs) or gaff tape like you said like all of these things it really you you just have to fail so many times to be ready to to handle these things and there's always going to be some new problem and and because of what we're doing is really technical and even the least you know if even on screen what may seem like the least creative thing probably had a lot of technical innovation because you're working with so many different departments you've got your camera you've got your lights and you all have to you all have to talk together and usually you won't have that time for prep yeah i mean i think like the bigger projects too the time for prep it's just, um, oh, there's some scope reach. Is that the word, right? Yeah, scope creep. Scope, scope reach, right? Where you're like 80% done with a project, so you add 60% yeah. new stuff. Yeah. Stuff will always take as much time as you give it, honestly. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There, so there's you, been so crit. Yeah. We've, I feel you have like... to be okay with it not being, it's just not going to be okay. You, <laughs> you're with good people and you got to yeah. go. So, like, production design is like your main gig. And then, but I've yeah. seen, like, Sometimes I'll run into you and we'll, you'll be like, hey, let's go get coffee. And you're doing like a 3D model or you're building a website or you're doing a branding project or like 10 other things. Like, what do you think about the importance of being able to do multiple things? Do you think it's... it's? Oh, absolutely. We had a PA on the last job and he was like, he, you know, he was he was doing stuff and he's like, um, he handed me back my drill and he's like, someone asked me to do this, but I don't know how, which is the right thing to do. If you don't know how to pow- use a power drill, absolutely don't use a power drill. For but sure. this is like a common household drill. And I asked him, I'm like, do you want to learn? He goes, no, because I want to be an actor. And I'm like, wouldn't you rather be like an actor that said like, 
I worked really hard until I made it. Yes. And like knew how to do absolutely everything and was super useful and could be hired in all these roles and then had more sincerity when you were playing these parts because you had knowledge. And I think like it just breaks my heart when people have a chance to learn something, absolutely anything, and they don't take it. Because even if it's like origami, you never know when the details of that skill will come forward yes. later. I um, love that. I love that. Yeah, and then with with film stuff, I mean, especially my department, you have to, you get thrown into everything um, from understanding weapons on some level and making sure, you know, that you hire the right people to handle weapons correctly and that everything's happening, you know, according not only to story and what's on camera, but in a way that people are actually safe on set um, and getting the right permits and making sure production has the right insurance and all of that stuff. There's levels there's levels with everything that you have to understand not just how it works in the real world but the area around it and that's a tangent but um yeah with that's... with the computer stuff uh the reason i have the jobs the reason i started getting these higher level gigs was because i could do a 3d model um hmm. and coming out of quarantine i'm absolutely no longer have that edge i think half the people in the world learned to blender <laughs> which is great i don't think that's true program and it's open source and did anyone in this room learn blender over quarantine i did not (laughs) yeah (laughs) well uh, yeah yeah i think in in my in my field a little bit more um but it's it's absolutely incredible you can do these amazing architectural previses or you can make nfts if that's your thing or stupid animations it's um it's a really cool project but knowing how to do that kind of gave me it's what was able to get me these higher these these higher level gigs because the clients needed to promise my so when you're working on a commercial um somebody a production designer gets hired by a producer that works for an agency which is hired by the client which is you know uh pepsi or bud light or any of these you know whatever brand you're working for and so these these agencies need to make a promise to the client so you will never speak to client unless it's some special situation but you'll speak to your producer and they'll pass it on to their creative heads. And one thing that got me kind of the edge was being able to visually just make these 3D, very specific 3D models. And sometimes more, you know, you don't want to be too specific because you have to be able to execute what you promise in a yeah, model. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, we, we've learned all these lessons the hard way. So anything yeah. you hear me saying, it's like I've probably done it wrong at least twice. Yeah. But that was that was what gave me the extra that was what allowed me to kind of further my career because a lot of my peers didn't know how to work on a computer they couldn't you know at the time you know 2010 or so people weren't even fluent in InDesign yet yeah um and you have to be able to make your pitch because your pitch is your contract yep it's what you're promising and every you have to remember no matter what job you're doing that you have some form of a contract and you should take some basic business classes or finance classes just to understand what a contract is and what your promises actually are and what your words are when you say them. Yeah. I I feel like that's something that I see a lot of like younger or like kind of like early creatives do too, is when they're going to explain an idea, they haven't like fully thought through or represented the idea. And I think that that does like, it gives you an edge because you can be like, yeah, here's what this room is going to look like. And, oh, let's zoom in. This is what the chair is going to look like. And, like, I've noticed this with, like, I've worked with some really, really good creative directors. And, like, they have thought through and been in a scene before it ever exists. And so they know, 
like, okay, this is what the rug looks like. And this is the texture of the chair. And this is like the whole, and sometimes you have to put that stuff together on the fly, but other times you can like really think through and like visualize all of that stuff ahead of time and being able to communicate that, like you were saying, just gives you such an edge, like, especially on set. But I think like other ways too, like when it comes to selling creative work, being able to like really help the client visualize what they're paying for like gives you an edge rather than being like, okay, I'm going to design your website and it's going to look like this and blah, blah, blah. But if you could just make a mock-up of it and maybe even make it work on a phone, like, you know, through um, like Envision app or something like that. And like that the model actually works and it's usable. It's a lot easier yeah. for them to, to want to write a check. That's, that's a beautiful way of saying it. And actually, I think that is the difference. Like, cause we're always striving for what is professional because especially as a freelancer, you never feel professional. Yeah. You always feel like you got lucky. Like it doesn't matter how much work you did. And like, it's a cumulative work, right? It's, we've been working for a long time and we are professional, but, but because you know, you're whatever. Anyways, um, the difference between <laughs> professional, I, I think maybe this is it, right? Probably not to speak to me in a month. But um, it, it's that, it's what you said, DJ. It's the ability to list, to be able to show something to the client that they can make notes on and that together you can kind of fine tune and that you have enough time to execute. Because when you're creating a broad idea on the fly, that's not professional. It doesn't matter how much money is involved. It can be millions of, we've done million dollar commercials for social media too. Million dollar commercials where nobody, nobody knows what's going to show up the day of. Nobody knows, like, we haven't seen a script. We've had two, we've had a phone call about roughly what's going to happen. Oh, they're going to hit a baseball. Okay. Um, so you know that there needs to be a baseball, but you don't know the rest of the stuff and you don't even know how to anticipate it. And that's the difference between, it's not who you're working with or any of that, being professional and being able to, you know, communicate a plan and then in stride, execute it. Yeah. As a team and, you know, hmm. really negotiate. And if you're starting out in web design too with your clients, having that blueprint, what that does is it doesn't just, it doesn't just show what you're going to do. It's a point for you to be able to communicate how your time, how much your time costs yeah, and how much resources you need. Right. Because if you change a couch, for example, like my, my job is, so easy to talk there's no metaphors it's just really like it's couch actually couch. changing couches um, <laughs> yeah but if you if you change a couch you can say yeah i need 500 dollars if you want that couch and with you know some of these more nuanced chapters of designs you're like well that has a gradient on it it has a special effect i don't know however many hours of photo touch-ups that's in the specific thing but once you have once you have your clear references you can communicate about those changes as well yeah i don't know no, that's, that's super really good. good. Um, okay, so we interviewed you for a research project we were doing for MSI, and yeah, you had I love MSI. Yeah, you had a lot of good things to say. Um, they're one of our brand partners, and so do you just want to communicate, especially when it comes to like doing multiple things and especially doing three D? Do you want to communicate like how your computer helps you solve problems? the computer is like the core of everything I do. It's, it's my way of, like we spoke about contracts before. It's my way of executing and promising contracts. But, um, the MSI I had, um, I've been working with Apple for years and I was in the desert. I was in, not in the desert. I was in Las Vegas, but it feels like a desert. Yes. I think that's the like desert. Yeah. Environmentally. Yeah. Um, I was on a 
I was finishing up a G League job and we were, we were, you know, it was a pretty simple job. Um, but we were about to do, we, I got called on last minute to do a shoot in Las Vegas that shot the next day. And I had bought a $200, I don't know, Asus computer. And it was, it, it just wasn't built for getting them. I needed to be able to render out my models in time and make real time changes so that we could figure out what we were doing. We had one day to build, I think it was four sets. We were recreating, it's Tiana Taylor's What You Want. And we were recreating like these old time music videos. It's a really cool concept. Um, so we were recreating like Mace and um, just all these classic 90s music videos. Um, and, you know, she's she's very involved in all of her projects. We ha- And it, everything has to be, you know, perfect for her. Or like to and perfect to the degree that for this case it was the 90s we were recreating the 90s um and i needed a computer that i could show her the different textures that we could do on the walls and get them executed as quickly as possible and i was sick of apple i was so sick of apple my computers break all the time because i'm you know i'm dropping them off ladders sometimes i'm doing horrible things always a little rough on her gear (laughs) what i said you're a little rough on your gear I'm super rough on my gear. I mean, but they're tools made to be used, you know. And I always want to modify it too. I don't like like I'm always getting frustrated, and I want to add something to it, and I don't want to get a new thing. I don't want the newest model. I want like I want a tank that I can just kind of, you know, soup up. Um, So I I stopped going for Apple, and I got an MSI because it was it was like. I couldn't fix if something went wrong with my computer. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't change the graphics card. I couldn't. Like, it was just arm and a leg to do everything, and I needed something that really could handle. First, that had, like, a great screen resolution, and this, their computers are, come from gaming. So you're not going to get better sensory. You're just not going to find, like, a better, like, vi- the visuals are not going to be better on, on a regular laptop. I mean, this thing was made to, you know, process video games. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I was super happy switching over. Um, it works really well with Blender. And I can make changes and I don't have to wait two hours because yeah. um, you really need a desktop. You need a desktop to do that type of work. And it's kind of a miracle that a laptop can do it at all. And I know some of that's Blender's program, but it's also having a computer like like a laptop like MSI that um, has a graphics card and is just wired to do that. Yeah. That's I so awesome. That. Okay, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, Chloe. But do you have any last bits of wisdom or anything else that you want to say to the AOV audience? Oh, just, you know, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. And just don't beat yourself up over stuff, you know, try to, if you're working with other people, try to find ways for them to succeed and point out their successes. Um, because as soon as, as, if you can just keep, keep the, the energy of we are completing things and we are moving forward, yeah. you won't get mired down on projects at all that that's i don't know that was my big takeaway from 2019 and it didn't work in 2020 so (laughs) my my 2019 lesson was if you give somebody a project make sure it's something that they can complete so they get that satisfaction and so that and that satisfaction spreads Hmm. you know just make sure that you're giving yourself and other people bite-sized and manageable tasks even if it's the impossible so you can complete as many of them as pop as you can and then when one or two of them don't work (laughs) you'll be able to like you know give yourself a condolence prize yeah tiny wins yeah 
Tiny ones, right. I love that. Okay, well, That's thank awesome. you. Thank you so much, Chloe. Uh, we appreciate thank you, for you coming on. Me. Yeah, of course. There's a lot of butts in this video. Yeah, there's a lot of butts. <laughs> you it, saw it a lot was... of butts that day, didn't you? Yeah, well, and it's like the, the thing you don't get from that is the sound of that many women twerking. <laughs> It's the sound of like one hand clapping like a thousand times over. <laughs> Can we please keep that for this podcast? Yes. <laughs>